Hour number two of Overtime, live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios with William Patterson, Dawson Wise, and Jace Brown on a Thursday night, a chilly and uh, wintry mix Thursday night here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining us. 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in and be a part of our show. Later in the hour, we'll talk about how the Eagles finish an embarrassing way uh, this season. We'll also talk about the Pascal Siakam trade uh, to the Pacers later in the hour. But we begin the episode, or I guess begin this uh, hour, I should say, with is Tua Tagovailoa the long-term option in Miami? The Miami Dolphins were unable to fight off the Arctic cold, falling to the Kansas City Chiefs 26-7. Two attack of Aloha finished with 199 yards, a touchdown, an interception, and a gross 69 or, excuse me, 63.9 passer rating. And Patrick Mahomes had 262 yards, a touchdown, and Rasheed Rice, the rookie, who we talked a little bit about last week, eight receptions, 130 yards, and a touchdown as well. Big day for him. Uh, before we get to the Dolphins situation, uh, is Rasheed Rice a good enough wide receiver one to get the Chiefs back to the Super Bowl? I think that he is, uh, and I think he proved that finally in the postseason. I've, I've talked about him before a lot. He looked like he blossomed in that game, right? I mean, he looked electric. He was making plays. Uh, he made the Chiefs offense look like the Chiefs offense that we have all been so used to. That's more what I expected out of the Chiefs. Their first drive, you know, I kind of expected, okay, well, maybe it'll take them a while. We know what the Chiefs are. They just marched down the field. It was chunk play after chunk play after chunk play, and I was like, okay, maybe the Chiefs have found something here. Uh, and Rice was at the center of that. He provides a nice second option for Mahomes. You don't just have to rely on Travis Kelsey anymore. You have Rasheed Rice as well. It's going to open up the field for Mahomes a lot more, allow him to be that dynamic playmaking franchise quarterback that we know him to be. Um, and it puts a struggle on defenses because now you got to cover two guys. you got to cover Kelsey. Now you have to respect Rasheed Rice as well. Maybe it opens up opportunities for some limited production from their other receivers also. Um, so, yeah, I think Rice is absolutely a guy that can get them to the Super Bowl again. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, it's really good to see, especially from such a young guy. I mean, uh, rookie out of SMU is already making a big-time big time impact, already had a big-time game in his first ever playoff game, first playoff touchdown even. Uh, like you said, takes that pressure off of Kelsey. Uh, defense are going to have to adjust to a guy that uh, is not drop-heavy as some of the other receivers are. Uh, he's got a little speed to him as well, so brings a little bit of more of a – I wouldn't say I would not comparing him to Tyreek Hill, but a more Hill esque receiver uh, with trusty hands that can get things done uh, down the field. So I absolutely agree that he is a great option for Mahomes down the line here. Yeah, the, the storyline with this Chiefs team all season, and it, it was really evident in that first game of the year when they played the Lions on Thursday Night Football. Um, it was. They don't have a reliable target outside of Travis Kelsey. And when you have guys like Kelsey and Chris Jones and, and Patrick Mahomes, guys with big contracts that you have to pay, and you've got to beef up your offensive line, adding a, a guy like Jawan Taylor in the offseason, you got to protect your quarterback. Uh, you got to get cheap somewhere, and they got cheap at receiver. And, and throughout the season, it was the main storyline. This team cannot win games because they don't have enough reliable targets to get the ball out to. And Rasheed Rice, I think, has made the biggest strides over the course of the season. And I think it's natural because, hey, he's a rookie, and he wasn't expecting to come in and be the number one guy right off the bat. Um, that was supposed to be Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That was supposed to be Kadarius Toney. Um, so he's naturally had to come in now 
and be their number one guy. Is he a number one on any other team in the NFL? Probably not. Maybe the Titans. Um, but uh, well, I guess they have Hopkins too. That was a little bit of a stray. Um, but you know, he's not a traditional number one receiver. I don't think he is on any other team. But he works for this team um, because he's he's really quick, good hands, and he gets the job done. And that was you know freezing cold weather on, on uh, Saturday night. So, I mean, even in the toughest conditions, he could get it done. His best numbers really of the year, eight receptions, 130 yards, that's good stuff. Um, so I think if he's able to be a reliable target and, you know, if Mahomes can just have two guys that can catch the football, I'm sure he can make a play. Um, so I think it does. It does help their chances. Now, would you like for there to be more than two guys that can be reliable? Uh, hell yeah. But I think at least having one guy show that, hey, even in the playoff game, I might be a rookie, but I can still be uh, very impactful. And we saw another rookie this week in Puka Nakua um, as a rookie. He mm. was uh, incredible as well. So I think just because he's a rookie doesn't mean he can't live up to the hype and live up in the moment, and I think Rasheed Rice did. Um, so, yes, I think it does help their chances. Um and, and we'll have to see what they do uh, this weekend in Buffalo. We'll talk more about that game tomorrow. Uh, but let's go back to Tua. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa against teams below 500 this year. 10-1, and 72% completion rate, 294 passing yards, 22-8 to touchdown interception ratio. Tua Tagovailoa against teams above 500, so these are our good teams. 1-6, including the loss to the Chiefs on Saturday. 63% completion rate, 220 yards, passing and an eight to seven touchdown to interception ratio. So there's a significant drop off from his performances against the the Packers not the Packers, excuse me, the Panthers and Broncos of the world to the good teams like the Bills and the Chiefs. And I you know, Tua Tagovailoa has a contract that's up or I guess due for an extension this summer. And now Miami is in the situation of okay, do we extend this guy? Or do we try and find an alternate option? And I don't think he's proven that he's able to win the big spots. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about Dak Prescott not being able to perform the big spots, but I think he's proven himself a little bit more over time that he's capable of getting them to those spots and at least winning a playoff game or two. Tua cannot say that right now. Um, So I think Saturday night was a really big letdown for them. Keep in mind, they had the number one offense in the in, in NFL this year, second in, in yards, and then you go up and put seven points up in a playoff game. That doesn't translate. So uh, should the Dolphins extend Tua this offseason is, is my question that I'll raise to you guys. I still think they should, um, but I think it comes with a caveat. Maybe you try to keep that extension short. You don't, you know, you don't extend them for five, six, seven years. Maybe you make it two or three. Um, and then just say, you know what, this is a prove-it contract. you, you got to prove something in the next couple of years. With this kind of weaponry that he has, I mean, you should be putting up better performances against good defenses. And I understand you're playing the, you know, like the Chiefs, an elite defense. I get it. But, you know, you got to, with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and the weapons that they have, you you got to do better. So I think you do still extend them. I just think you keep it. Keep it short and tell them, if you don't prove anything right here, we're going to move on. We're going to look at other options. you got to prove to us that you can be the guy before we sign you for seven, eight, nine years down the line. Yeah, I think about the three years, probably your sweet spot when you get into it. Uh, maybe don't make him one of those you know, 50-plus mil guys a year because, I mean, like you said, he hasn't really proven that worth just yet. Um, maybe use some of that extra money, maybe revamp that O-line a little bit because, I mean, You've already got the weapons. You've got Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. 
the running back room that's three deep of just go-getters, I mean, I think one thing that he has to do is not rely so much on Tyreek Hill because it's been Tyreek Hill or bust, it feels like, for the most part of this season. And on games I read where if Tyreek has 99 or more receiving yards, they went undefeated. And whenever he doesn't have that 99 yards, they lost every game. So, I mean, not relying on him so much is going to be a big thing in my eyes. Uh, can maybe if, – if, if he does start getting a little bit of variety in his decision-making, maybe this team can get back on the right foot. So, to me, uh, Tua struggles against really good defenses, and he struggles against teams that are covering his initial read. There were a lot of times this season where – uh, I remember specifically in that Bills game in week three, coming off a 50-point win against the Broncos, hottest team in the NFL, coming in and playing the Bills, and they looked totally different in that game. And you could see Tua's eyes lock on his initial read, and if it's not there, he'd get bottled up and either take a sack or it result in a turnover. It, it wasn't going well. And I, I think Tua has had some injury problems, He's shown that he can't win the big games, and I think every team is a product of their quarterback, and that has kind of been the story of the Dolphins this year. They are unable to win in the big spots. They can't beat the good teams. They're 1-6 against teams that are above 500. They didn't beat a team with a winning record up until the Cowboys dating back to week three of the prior season. So, to me, I don't know if you can extend him. I would not extend him, and I would look elsewhere. I know he had a really good regular season. I know he's a pro bowler and all this stuff. I get it. He had a really good year. But if your goal is to have a really good season, then I think you're in the wrong business. I don't think the goal is to have a good uh, a, a good regular season. The goal is to have a good regular se- season and build on that in the postseason and go somewhere. If you're a team that's just great in the regular season, kind of like the Cowboys, and can't get to that point, there's – Kind of a point where you say, okay, what are we doing here and what is not working? And I think that's a quarterback for Miami. Now, um, I'll raise the question of what are the better alternatives for the Dolphins, and I'll start with one. I think it's Kirk Cousins, a guy that can play in cold weather in January and December when those games matter. Um, He's a veteran. He gets the ball out at the right time. He's shown in multiple places, multiple spots that he can win games. Um, I think he'd be a good option. Now, uh, something you raised last week was maybe a, a trade for a guy like Justin Fields, and I don't know if he's an upgrade throwing the ball, but you have to think Mike McDaniel, um, one of the best offensive minds in the league, I'm sure he could find a way to make Justin Fields a little bit more elusive with those legs. Um, so there are a couple of different alternatives, and I think some of those could be looked at going forward. Dawson? Yeah, you can go three routes if you want to do this. You can trade, you can sign somebody, or you can draft somebody. Um, the trade, again, I'm going to stick with it. I, I, the more I thought about the Justin Fields idea, the more I kind of liked it for both teams. It, you know, you get a little bit more established guy throwing the football in Tua in Chicago. You get a little bit more established guy running the ball uh, that can be a little bit more dynamic than Tua is in Miami and Justin Fields. Other than that, I don't think there's really that many teams that are going to want to trade a high-caliber quarterback direct for Tua. Um, when you move on to free agency, you bring up a good point with Cousins. I think he would be a, a viable option. But beyond that, free agency, I mean, I, I looked at it. The top ten are, are not guys I would salivate over. Baker Mayfield, maybe. We'll see what he does this weekend. Mm-hmm. Performed well against the Eagles. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, but then you get like Jacoby Brissett, Gardner Minshew, Joe Flacco, Mason Rudolph, Jameis Winston, Darnold, Tannehill, 
Josh Dobbs, which a sentimental pick for us here in Knoxville, Tennessee, but probably not going to you know be your franchise guy. Uh, that there's just no options there other than Cousins that that, that have me convinced and. You're so far back in the draft, you'd have to trade up, and I just don't think they're going to be willing to do that. Yeah, I, th- I absolutely think Cousins is the steal of of your options here. I mean, uh, I've heard maybe a little bit of buzz around maybe going after Geno Smith in Seattle. I mean, I'm not. I don't think that's the greatest idea in the world. I mean, you save some money. You know, you're not getting a guy that's getting paid too much money, and you've getting a guy that's proven himself just a little bit I mean he didn't play incredible this year he did all right in 2022 but Kirk Cousins definitely the guy that you want to go after here if it comes to it I mean of course he's getting up there he's not a long-term solution per se but he can run an offense pretty dang good and you know he knows how to utilize a high-end receiver uh like Tyreek that he has in Justin Jefferson yeah and I'm I know the the Tua angle I have might not be a popular one, and a lot of Tua fans are out there. And um, it's not that I don't like Tua the player, and it's not that I don't think he's a good quarterback, but I don't think he's one that can win you games. And a poor poor weather, and that's what you play in uh, come playoff time. It's not sunny Miami unless you're playing at home. And hey, if the Dolphins wanted to do that, you had opportunities to on your home field against the Bills, and you couldn't get it done against a good team. So. You're kinda, you kind of you got to look at yourself in the mirror and, and look at the the things that you did to yourself before saying, well, well, a two was two was the option, two was this that. I mean, they they had a lot of chances to play games at home in the playoffs and they were not able to convert against good teams. So, uh, to me, I think there's some other alternatives out there. Kirk Cousins is one. Um, I, I think they would have a very hard time getting moving up in the draft. They'd have to move off one of their nice pieces. Um, so it's not the most logistical spot for the Dolphins. But I think they maybe give him like a, you know, let him ride out the fifth year, kind of similar to uh, Lamar, and then kind of go from there. Now, obviously, Lamar had a lot more drama with his, but maybe ride out the fifth year, see where it is. If it doesn't work, let him walk and kind of move on from there. I don't think he's ready for the extension at the moment, though. And I think you're kind of zip tying yourself if you give them give him the extension and things go south. Anything you want to add? Well, and retool as well. I think you could still add stuff to that Miami team. Yeah. I think you also probably need to add some defensive pieces as well. Just their defense is okay. It was good. It had its moments, but you got some aging pieces in the defensive backfield and on the on the, the defensive line. Christian Wilkins is a free agent, by the way, in the yeah. offseason. So mm-hmm. you rebuild the defense, give him a better O line, and like I think, like you said, right out this last year. And if it doesn't work, you know, then maybe next year um, you, you look at moving on. But yeah, I just, I just, I can't see them doing it this offseason. Yeah, and is, would Bradley Chubb be a free agent as well this offseason? I think he is. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, Bradley Chubb was their big piece. Now, obviously, he got hurt, uh, a mm-hmm. big loss for them. But um, you know, I don't think twenty six points comes from you know him not being out there. No. Um, Jalen Ramsey is towards the latter half of his career, though he still can be good. But he got burnt a couple times um, badly in that Bills game. Um, I, 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 you know, I think they've got good pieces. I don't think they're just completely. I wouldn't say not well rounded, but I think they're still lacking a couple holes and cracks uh, uh, right now on that team. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about the Philadelphia Eagles' embarrassing finish to their season. Crazy 
some Broadway girls on this uh, Thursday <laughs> afternoon. Y'all like that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you who's not coming down Broadway, and that's the Philadelphia Eagles after an embarrassing loss to end the season to the Buccaneers, the Philadelphia Eagles, who were once 10-1 and in top 10 in offensive and defensive DVOA two months ago. Fall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 32-9 on Monday. Uh, Baker Mayfield, quarterback for the Bucs, battled both rib and ankle injuries, but completed 22 of 36 passes for 337 yards and no interceptions, while the defense held the Eagles to just 275 yards. Very well-rounded performance for the Buccaneers, and a guy in Baker Mayfield I'll have to tip my cap to. Um, he caught a couple strays from me to begin the season. I was unsure if he'd even start. Um, I, I thought that Kyle Trask might beat him out when they were having that competition in the preseason. Trask had a really good game, a uh, really good couple games, and Baker was just uh, vanilla. Uh, I, I, I said that I think he'd be selling insurance by the end of the season, <laughs> um, and he's not selling insurance because he's done a really good job, and, and hats off to Baker. I think he gets a lot of heat um, because he's you know a little bit of a character and had some uh, moments in Cleveland, but I think this is a good spot for him in Tampa, where um, it's not a huge market, not a not a lot of uh, pressure on him, especially coming off of uh, Tom Brady, where everyone knows you can't get any better than that. So let's kind of see how this works out with Baker Mayfield, very similar to Jordan Love. Yeah, um, just kind of let's see what we got with this guy, right? And it's paid off for him. Well, now you've got an opportunity to go up to Detroit and win what I feel like is a winnable game. Very, right? Yes. I, we, I, we said for for weeks that. Detroit was the team on upset alert in the yeah. NFC. So you've got to now an opportunity potentially, I mean, upset the Lions. And you're talking about a Bucks team that I don't think is all that great. Uh, and, and Baker Mayfield, who yeah, we, we know his struggles. I mean, you're one game away now from the NFC Championship game. What a, what a turnaround for them. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about that NFC Championship game. I, we're going to get one or we're going to get two of these four quarterbacks in that game Brock Purdy, Jordan Love, Jared Goff, and Baker Mayfield. One of the or two of those four guys will be playing for an NFC championship, and one of those four guys will be in the in, in the Super Bowl. It's the it's the 2018 year all over again: Foles, Keenum, Bortles, and then you know obviously yeah. Tom Brady. But I mean, yeah, come on, it's like one of these is different than the other. <laughs> yeah, and 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 this and this instance, they're kind of all the same. I think yeah, Jared Goff maybe would be, I guess, the best true pass thrower. Uh, cause, you know, Purdy's good and on a good team and a good system, but. Um, that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to the Eagles. Yeah. Um, this was I've I've never seen a team do as big of a 180 as the Eagles did this season. I just mentioned ten and one two months ago, top ten in offensive and defensive DVOA, and it has been a complete fall from grace for them. And I've never seen something like this ever. This team was on track to get right back where they were last season. They, you know, might have had a, a hobbled uh, Jalen Hurts, but they were still the same team they had last year. I mean, the same offensive line, same weapons. They even added DeAndre Swift, which I thought was a huge deal. The defense was a little bit different. took a uh, took a little bit of a hit, but they had a guy in Kevin Byard midway through the season. He was supposed to be a nice piece for them, and everything fell apart. Offensively, uh, the play calling is ridiculous. Um, it, it really shows how big of an impact Shane Steichen had last season. Uh, I think they—I saw something yesterday. 
I think they ran 600-something bubble screens this year. That might, that might be way too much. That sounds wrong. 600. It was a yeah. lot. It felt it, like that. Yeah, we'll just, say, <laughs> we'll just say as a hyperbole, 600 uh, bubble screens this year and had a net gain of minus 36 yards on those. Um, so it might not have been 600, but it was a lot. Um, and they didn't even you know pick up yardage on that. And they lacked an identity offensively, and I think any team that lacks an identity – uh, struggles and and a lot of those teams that aren't in the playoffs right now in Cancun enjoying a daiquiri on the beach don't have an identity either. Um, <laughs> defensively was a, a complete mess as well. Byard almost made that secondary worse. Uh, Matt Patricia was brought in uh, as the new defensive coordinator to kind of save them, and it actually backfired even more. Uh, it was a mess, and I've never seen a team have this bad of a 180 in the middle of the season than the Eagles and. Uh, we'll talk more about Nick Sirianni here in a second, but I think this is a, a fireball offense. How I mean, is this is this Eagles fall from grace the biggest 180 you guys have seen in at least a while? Yeah, oh, 100%. I mean, they were my pick at the beginning of the year, even mid-season, to win the NFC and go back to the Super Bowl. And even you know with the Chiefs and Bills on down years for them, still good, but on down years. As dominant as the Eagles looked, I was like, well, this is going to be the year. If they win a championship with Jalen Hurts, it's going to be this year. And it is puzzling, man. I just it just makes no sense. After everything that worked, you go away from what works, and it's just that that loss in Tampa feels like a microcosm for the collapse. It was a train that was off the tracks the whole game. It never felt to me like they were ever really in that game. Like it yeah. just it's a it's just it's a microcosm of the last several weeks of just getting blown out. Is feels like the only fitting way the collapse can end. Yeah, it was, in my opinion, by far the biggest just you know, collapse that I've ever seen a team have, especially, like you said, starting 10-1. and one. And, I mean, if you tell me at Thanksgiving that this team would win just one more game for the rest of the season, including postseason, I would have called you crazy. Because, I mean, 10-1, and one, I mean, they're finding ways to win, maybe not necessarily against the best teams in the league, but still coming out with some wins here and there. And, I mean, you had A.J. Brown, who was on pace for about 2,000 yards receiving this year, uh, you found a rushing game with DeAndre Swift, who you weren't starting at the start of the year. The tush push, I mean, became a big thing uh, for the NFL this year to look at. Uh, just crazy how swiftly that turned to, oh, man, are we going to win our division? No. Are we going to win a playoff game? Didn't really show up for that either. Yeah, and you say swiftly, no pun intended there <laughs> yeah. with DeAndre. Yeah. Um, well, and it's not even like they had a gauntlet end of the season no, either. No. Three of those losses are to the Giants in two games and the Ari- my Arizona Cardinals, who admittedly finished the season at what five and twelve. I mean, they were you know teams not going anywhere. Yeah. It's not like you're playing the best teams in the NFL. It was an easy schedule. Yeah. Um, let's see where where was I going to pick up on? I, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, let's see. Okay, you're coming off DeAndre Swift. Uh, Okay, well, I, we'll move on. I, I totally lost my train of thought. We'll move on to the next. We'll move, that's how mind-boggling this is. Yeah. I can't even pick yeah. up where I where I was. Um, so let's talk about Nick Sirianni now. Oh, okay. I, I, actually, I'm back. Um, even I thought it was funny. They released the hype video for this team going into the game, and Jason Kelsey opens it with, "I know we effing suck, um, <laughs> and I know we haven't been playing well." That doesn't really scream to me a team that has confidence or any identity. Mm. If the opening line of your uh, hype video is they know they've been bad 
and then they're going to somehow turn it around in one week. I, I've never seen that, and it, you saw it on display. As you said, a microcosm of their season. Um, they were able to have a little bit of juice early, um, and it disappeared very quickly and went down the sinkhole. The fact that Baker Mayfield um, beat you by double digits and passed for 300-something yards is ridiculous at, at this point um, in, in his career, or, or really as a quarterback, in my opinion. I, I know I'm sorry with the, the strays, but seriously, I mean, uh, a team that was just in the Super Bowl should not be being beaten by a, 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 a Baker Mayfield-led quarterback team. Um, let's move on to Nick Sirianni now. Uh, Nick Sirianni, let's take it back to when he first got the job there. Uh, very weird press conference. It looked like he was you know, trying to follow a, a fifth-grade PowerPoint presentation on what he was supposed to say. He said that, that you know, they were going to uh, focus on um, you know, building a culture and taking that culture into winning games and, and you know, a very cookie-cutter press conference, but he was – the delivery was terrible, and um, he never really seemed – I guess he got a little bit of a uh, a bonus for making it to the Super Bowl last year, but it never really seemed like he was on top of things. And even from the jump in that press conference, it was like, okay, this guy's a little rehearsed, doesn't really uh, – he might not be the guy to, to fill these shoes. And I think over the course of the season, um, allowing this team to, to fall that hard – is a fireable offense. They fired Doug Peterson for a lot less, and he won a Super Bowl, not even made it. Um, so I, I think Nick Sirianni should be done. I think this team needs a, a total uh, retooling, and we'll talk more about you know some of their expiring contracts and players here in a second. But this is a team where I think you've got to move in a different direction and make some tweaks to get back on track. I still am I still am leaning towards no. I, I, I'm way closer to the fence now. You're starting mm-hmm. to tread the line. Uh, you begin to wonder if the season and a half that they had was lightning in a bottle and maybe they just you know, they've lost the spark and now it you know, maybe that success is going to be over. I also wonder now how much of their success was because of his assistant coaches, um, especially on defense. You know, Jonathan Gannon coaches an excellent defense last season, one of the you know, better units we've seen, and he leaves for Arizona, runs to Arizona to to take a coaching job and the defense goes off a cliff pretty much in the last half of the season. So you wonder how much of it was not necessarily Sirianni, but the guys he brought in. We talked about Shane Steichen a minute ago. Um, the problem for me, the only thing hinging me now is you have to find a replacement. If you can't find a surefire replacement that's going to continue to win you games, and I think you need an established coach that will do that, I just I can't justify it yeah. um, because then you're, you you might be hitting the complete reset button, and that's this team's not built to hit the reset button right now. So. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't find a surefire guy, I don't think you can move on. Yeah, I mean, I'm just worried about how many times I'm going to see that clip of him leaving Kansas City, just yelling "See ya!" See ya. You know, I mean, if he does leave, uh, I'd probably say he should. Like you said, Peterson got canned for a lot less uh, than this collapse. I mean, there was at that shift around Thanksgiving, it felt like he just lost the entire locker room. It kind of felt like none of them wanted to be there. They showed up like they didn't want to be there on, uh, what was it, Monday, Sunday, one of those. But, I mean, as in replacement, I mean, you know, Vrabel still on the table. I mean, guy not really wanting to completely rebuild, maybe want to go into a situation, liven it up a little bit. I mean, I could see him landing up there and really making some noise. Uh, to me, if they were going to fire him, they've got to get on it quickly. Mm. Uh, because right now you've got already got interviews. Um, with coaches, you know, trying to field jobs, you're already behind the eight ball. 
So if you're going to do it, you got to do it quickly. And it seems like right now uh, they're trending towards keeping him, which I think is a bad decision. But if that's what they want to do, that's on them. Um, uh, my first option, and I know I've used him 100, 100 times on here for everyone's first option, but it's Ben Johnson. Your your team is is centered around your offense. You, your your pieces are better than anyone in the in the NFL. Um, you've got it at running back, you've got it at quarterback, you've got it on the offensive line, and you've got the receivers and weapons. Um, if you want to bring in a guy that's going to make an impact, go bring in a guy that totally changed the trajectory of a franchise in two seasons in the Lions. The Lions just won their first playoff game in 30 years, had kids and, and, and grown adults crying in the stands because of the offense they've been able to produce this season. And that's how effective he has been. Go bring him in, get Sariani's ass out of there, and make a move that's going to help you long term. I think they're holding on to last year's Super Bowl as a little bit of a coupon for him to be able to stay. I get it; it's it's tough. It's a it's a tough move to do, and it's um, you know tough luck, I guess, is the phrase for it. But uh, to me, I think this was an embarrassing end to the season, and you made no adjustments, or at least. It seemed they did not make any adjustments that had any impact. And I think you've got a roster that a lot of people would drool over in this league, and you're totally underachieving bringing a guy that's going to be able to change that. And I think that's an offensive mind and Ben Johnson who's done a really good job. Well, and tailing on that too, look at the turnaround that Jared Goff has had over the past two years in Detroit. I mean, when he came to Detroit, you know, L.A. won that trade at the time. And now, you know, if Jared Goff can continue the success, and I think it's because of Ben Johnson. So if you bring in somebody that plays to Jalen Hurts' strengths as well, I think the offense gets better. He can bring in somebody that can coach the defense, and then he can worry about just molding the Philly offense and getting them back to what they know works. Yeah, um, I, I also think um, you know you got to think about Shane Steichen, a guy that you know you talk about um, his assistant. Shane Steichen was Philip Rivers' coach back when he was with the Chargers, and you know he had a lot of success then. Philip Rivers' best season was under Shane Steichen. And Jalen Hurts, over the last two seasons, has really made, uh, excluding this year, the past two seasons, I should say, uh, made some really big jumps. And last year was incredible. A guy that was in the MVP race, won him a lot of games. Steichen deserves a lot of credit. And he leaves, and they kind of go back and regress. He had a really vanilla year this year. 23 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. That's that's not going to win you games. Um, Very vanilla performance. So I think Steichen and, and the coordinators they had around him were a big impact as well. Um, and I think that was on display this season. So now let's talk about the roster shape-up. Uh, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, all guys with a contract expiring on the wrong side of age. Is this the last time we see the Eagles with this group? Because, you know, obviously there are going to have to be some changes made. Um and it may not, might not be that drastic of you know losing big-time pieces, but these guys have been vital to their runs over the last couple seasons and beyond, and they leave a little bit of the culture leaves as well, especially with how long these guys have been there. Um, is this the last time we see an Eagles team like this? Well, it's for sure the last time we see Jason Kelsey. He announces his retirement the other day. So um, the other two, I would not be surprised to see them either follow him into retirement or, or leave on expiring contracts um, to go somewhere else. Uh, and 
for the Eagles, it's a dilemma now. Is it worth it to maintain those guys and sign them to new contracts, or would you rather get younger at that position, You know, maybe get a little better contract situation at that position? Um, they are team legends for sure, culture guys, huge culture guys, um, but you know, you may have to get younger if you don't and you keep these guys on, you still don't win. I mean, your window's going to close quickly here, so you're in a dilemma now if you're in Philly. Yeah, I, th- I think – Cox is probably likely on the way out with Kelsey just because he's been it feels like he's been there for 20 years at this point uh both him and Kelsey both locking up the interior on the offensive and defensive lines respectively uh Lane Johnson I mean if you if the Eagles retain Sirianni I mean if it was like a big time locker room issue like I think it could have been do you think Lane just finds a new spot or at that point if they're not really – or if he's really can't find a new landing spot, he could be out the door too. So, I mean, uh, big offseason for Philly, and it's really going to tell how this organization is going to be looking for the next three years. Okay, so Jason Kelsey, what you mentioned, I know after the game he said he planned to retire. Now he's kind of retracted those statements mm-hmm. since. Um, said it was kind of a lot of emotion in the moment. Um, now I'm sure he's still probably leaning that way, but – probably need some time I mean especially 20 minutes after a game losing a playoff game probably not the best headspace to make a decision like that so he very well could uh, come back but I do think that this window is closing regardless so even if they come back on one-year deals this this time is closing Um, and they've got to be able to make moves and prepare for that um, because one of the best things about this team is their offensive line. That's why they're able to do that tush push over and over again because it's so unstoppable because of that offensive line. So if you're going to lose those guys, you've got to be able to bring in guys that can be as impactful, and and it, that might be a hard thing to do, especially with all the money you owe to uh, you know a lot of other players on this roster. So um, if they're going to leave and they're going to you know head elsewhere, whether it be retirement, another team on a one year deal. You need to get that done quick because you need to start building to your next team, especially with the draft coming up, start eyeing down new prospects, and then looking at the free agency list as well. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, you need to make this happen quickly. You can't wait around and you know give these guys forever to make a decision because, you, you like you said, you have to move on. You're a contending team. You're not a team that's rebuilding, so you have to replace those pieces right now. Like, And especially if you're going to move on from Sirianni as well. I mean, this all has to come together at the same time if you're going to make it work. Uh, and if it drags on too much longer, then if you do decide to, to move on from, from guys like Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, and Nick Sirianni, you're not in a great spot after if after that if you wait a long time. Yeah, I mean it's pretty much almost at a coin flip. I mean, we saw the digression in that in the second half of the season. Do we think that they're gonna just completely hit that reset button, just let all those guys go, let go of Sirianni, start fresh? But I mean, with the rest of the roster, I mean, you still got young guys on that defense that uh, are really gonna be st- stepping into a new role this upcoming season. Your offensive line is still pretty stout. You've got weapons on that offense that you can work with. I mean, it's just big-time question marks for this franchise. There's no telling what we're going to see in these coming months, especially pre-draft. I mean, I don't know. I think the the better word would be retool instead of reset. Yeah. Mm. Um, Because, like, look at the Chargers right now. They know they need a retool, not reset. Right. Um, Because they've got pieces and people in place that can win games, but – they were missing it at head coach, and they're missing it um, in parts of their defense. And and 
Um, you know, they've got some aging players like uh, Austin Eckler who seem to lose a little bit of a step this year. It's a retool for them, and I think it's very similar for the Eagles. Uh, you have the guys that can win you games, and it, they've already proven that. But now it's retooling, bringing maybe some youth in, mm-hmm. some guys that can play more downs. Um, I, I think that would be the better route, and I think that starts at firing Sirianni and making a move um, towards an offensive-minded coach that has a little bit more of an identity and can do a press conference without looking at note cards. <laughs> um, but that's just me. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about how it's about to get spicy in Indiana. Final segment of our number two on overtime. A lot of great stuff here on our day back. We've been, you know, gone all week because of the the weather. It's turned to Antarctica up here in Knoxville. We are back and a great episode today. Great two hours, and we're going to round it out here with getting a little spicy in Indiana. Pascal Siakam traded to the Pacers. Spicy P on his way to a new team and the trade. The Raptors received Bruce Brown, a guy that played for the Nuggets last year, got a a very sizable contract this offseason. Uh, he's on the move. Kyra Lewis from the Pelicans. Uh, Jordan Nawara from the Pacers. Two 2024 first-round picks from the Pacers and a conditional 2026 first-round pick from the Pacers as well. The Pacers receive Pascal Siakam from the Raptors and a future second-round pick from the Pelicans. Siakam is averaging two, or 22.2 points per game, 60, or 6.3 rebounds, 4.9 assists, in about 35 minutes per game this season. Uh, guys, what does Pascal Siakam add to this Indiana Pacers lineup? He brings them a ton of production offensively, and I mean a ton. And he adds to a front court now that's going to be excellent for, for Indiana. Uh, one that was already, I think, pretty good. I mean, Miles Turner, a surefire, great number one option down low. Uh, you have Benedict Matherin as well. What a, what a great piece he's been out of Arizona. Uh, you know, he's injured right now, so you bring in Siakam, you can plug him in. When Matherin gets back, though, Man, what a dynamic team Indiana's going to be, at least on yep. the starting level now. Um, he's also postseason experience. I think that's huge for a mm-hmm. team that is very young. But they this this trade tells me they are ready to win, and they are ready to win right now. Uh, already a team that's trending towards a postseason spot, I think. So you add a guy that's been there, done that. Uh, I believe won a championship in Toronto. Was he yes, on that championship yes, team? Mm-hmm. So he's been there, done that. The NBA Finals before and played very well in those finals alongside yeah. Kawhi Leonard. So. You give a you get a guy that is going to help you win right now, and the Pacers have proven they're ready to they're ready to go for it. Yeah, yeah experience is definitely the number one on that list. I mean, this guy's been there, he's done it, he's walked the walk. He's like you said, he's got that ring in Toronto, uh, and it kind of feels like Toronto's just kind of giving up. You know, they're giving everything. Yeah, yeah, they're they're just getting it re re going, trying to figure things out once again. But I mean. Coming in, he's going to be the Pacers' second-leading scorer if we're going off of averages. Halliburton's averaging a little over 23 right now. So, I mean, you pair that with Halliburton, Heald, uh, Matherin, Miles Turner down low. I mean, this team is really taking a step in the right direction, uh, even though they are losing a good piece in Bruce Brown. But Siakam definitely taking him over Bruce Brown. So this team might, <laughs> might make a decent little run here. Yeah, so from the Raptors' perspective – um, I think they've realized that it's kind of time to move off of that 2019 run. Uh, Siakam was the last piece of that team still playing for the Raptors. Um, and he's an incredible player, still young, I think only 27. 
Um, but, you know, having Scotty Barnes and Siakam play side-by-side side didn't really work. Uh, two guys that both are kind of hovering in the same area of the court. Um, you made the trade for R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. You get younger. Um, I think this is a, a Raptors team that's kind of looking to restart a little bit. Um, have gotten some good draft picks. I like Grady Dick a lot, good shooter from Kansas. Um, R.J. Barrett, I still think, deserves a spot in this league as a starter. Um, Emmanuel Quickly, I was very surprised the Knicks moved off of him because I think he's a spark plug off the bench and could very well move up into a a starting role. And Scotty Barnes has shown that in his you know small time in the NBA, really good defender, and he's continuing to get his offensive game uh, better and better each season as well. So I think the Raptors are in a, a good spot um, moving forward. Now, for the Pacers, I thought, a, they gave Bruce Brown a, a ridiculous contract this offseason, uh, two years, $40 million. Uh, He was really vital to that run last year for the Nuggets, but not $20 million a year vital. Um, and I understand that they had a lot of contract space, a lot of cap space to be able to use that money, and they kind of had to use it. So I understand that perspective, but at the same time, I thought that was a bad move. Uh, adding Siakam gives Halliburton a running mate. Um, I think we all think this Pacers team is good but not great and not a team that was going to do anything in the playoffs with just what they had. Now you add in a guy in Siakam who uh, runs the court really well, is shooting career numbers this season from the field, shooting 53%. Really good stuff from him. Um, And this is a team that likes to run. The Pacers are the number one team in pace this season. They love to get out in the transition, love to score. Best offense, if not one of the best offenses in the league. Um, and I think adding Siakam gives Halliburton another guy to take a little bit of the responsibility and a little bit of the spotlight off of them. So when they're a playoff series, you know, they can play hand-in-hand. Hand. And the good thing about it is Halliburton's a playmaker, a guy that has the ball, um, and you know, Siakam is a, a big, a guy that's a forward, not playing really in the same position, so not really taking opportunities away from each other. And you mentioned you know, Miles Turner. Now you've got a lot of length down in that front court as well. Uh, Miles Turner, we know, is a great defender. Siakam has shown that he can be a good defender as well. So I think you get a lot of things out of this trade. Um, and if you're able to get production from Buddy Hill from the three-point line and Benedict Mather and a guy from Arizona in his second year that's been pretty good, um, I think you've got some pieces to make a run. Now, I think they're a little thin on the bench in terms of veteran depth. Um, but you know, if they can keep this core around, you know, that's something next offseason, hey, we need to add a couple of veterans in to counter some of our youth. Because I like guys like Andrew Nebhard and, and Benedict Mathern, but they're a little bit young and, and aren't necessarily ready to play meaningful minutes in a playoff series. So I think the Pacers um, definitely help out their chances in the Eastern Conference. Now, they've had the Bucks number this season, uh, but you still got to get through the Celtics and still got to get through the Sixers. I think the Pacers now have the – fourth best roster I think that's fair to say I think the Bucks have a better roster Celtics by far have a better roster um, and I'd say the same with the Sixers yeah Pacers probably the fourth best roster in the East right now mm-hmm. um, and that's still really good that's still able to get them over the hump I think they now kind of pass the Cavaliers who have kind of been hot and cold this year um, same with the Knicks so this is a good spot for them this is a spot where they can win a playoff game haven't had much success uh at all recent in, in recent Pacers memory. Um, so I think this is a big trade for them, really. Yep. Uh, their first kind of splash trade since, I guess, when they got rid of Paul George, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a big a big deal for them and a, a good trade. Now, 
Let's move back into Knoxville, where the Lady Vols just went final with the Mississippi State Bulldogs on the road. A 75-64 win, where they hold the Bulldogs to just five points in the third quarter to really pull away. Um, now advanced to 3-1 and one in conference play, or 4-1 and one in conference play? I think it's, yeah, 4-1, and one, I think. 4-1 so, yeah. in conference play. And Dawson and I were talking about this last Wednesday um, and, and talking about the Lady Vols, how, hey, if you want to win the SEC um, and, and get back to where you want to be after a little bit of a questionable start to begin the year, um, you got to get these wins on the road and wins in the early conference play to be able to get where you want to be. And, um, you know, winning four out of five games to start conference play, I think they're right on track. Well, this is a team that also, and I was looking through it tonight, I did not get to watch much of this game, but it's a team that looks like it's changing its identity a little bit. Uh, Tess Darby gets comes off the bench in this game. She's been starting for them for about two years now, roughly. Um, she comes off the bench, only actually plays eight minutes in this game, which is very odd, but, I mean, you got some big minutes from Rakia Jackson. We know what she brings. She brings 19 points tonight. Sarah Puckett, another double-digit performance. She's been excellent. Jewel Spear, she only has nine tonight, but, Produced well, played a lot of minutes. Um, Jasmine Powell played 38 minutes in this game, which is insane to, to even read that stat. Um, she's running the offense. And the big stat for me is Tamari Key. She plays 28 minutes tonight, her most minutes best since coming back. What a huge you know boost that's going to be for that team. She gets most of the minutes down low at center tonight. Um, so it's a team that looks to be changing their identity a little bit. Um, but it's working for them to go back to what worked a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it really does help to have Rakia Jackson back, especially playing against uh, her old team in Mississippi State going down to uh, Starkville, pulling out a big one. Uh, I guess one one that kind of stood out to me down towards the bottom of the bench stats, at least, is Kaya Wynn. 22 minutes tonight, 13 points, uh, big time. Shot 6 of 10 from the field, so was pretty efficient at that as well. So getting some key minutes off the bench for maybe players that we aren't typically used to seeing on the bench or playing from the bench, seeing them still be able to be productive for this offense and finally having Rakia Jackson fully back, this team – has really turned it around from what was, you know, kind of almost pitch pitchfork and torches for me, oh, it, in, at least in the coaching. It was for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to tail on Kyle Wynn real quick. Um, she's a player that people have had their complaints about over the over the last couple of years. That seems just you know, the growth the growth pains were taking too long. Um, but man, over the past few weeks, now that they're in conference play. Uh, she's she's found something. I don't know if it's having Rakia Jackson back or what, but. She's found something and is really finding serious success off the bench on the offensive end. The Lady Vols will return home on Sunday to face off against Vanderbilt. That game's at 3 o'clock from the TBA Food City Center, um, whatever they want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Too many hyphens. In yeah, goodness, me. gosh. That's a, I guess if you do the acronym, it's a TBA – FCC. FCC. Yeah, That's like that. uh, way too many letters. That looks like a, I still call it TBA. Yeah, well, I will too. <laughs> uh, T, TBA FCC looks like a um, I don't know someone you know like when you drop your phone or something like that and a bunch of characters just pop up. <laughs> yeah. That's what it looks like. Um, it's like it's raining or something. Yeah, know, yeah. Like, we got water on your phone. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I, they need to, and this is uh, kind of off topic, but they need to change the exterior look of TBA. In my opinion, I oh, think it yeah. looks like a. A cardboard box or one of those, uh, gosh, TIE fighters and 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 Star Wars. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, you got the little, <laughs> you got the two outside and the, the yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's it's a little stark just for the landscape. I mean, it kind of matches the color of Neatland, but I'm not really sure that you want to do that with a basketball arena. 
definitely want to get away from the beige, in my opinion. <laughs> it, it just kind of looks like. What, what, what color would you rather have? Any color. I don't <laughs> care if you color. make it orange. I really don't. If you make it orange, like, I I live across the river, and I can, like, see it from my apartment. Well, if, if they make it orange, it. you'll really be able to see Oh, it. yeah, it'll be wonderful. And I'll be like, <laughs> 70 I know. Over there, right? Exactly. Yeah. I'll look over there. I'll be like, I know who plays there. But if you, if you just set that anywhere, you could set that on any campus. Yeah. You, it needs something that makes it Tennessee. And beige, that's not Tennessee. What? I mean, they're already doing it with, with Lindsey Nelson and Neyland. They're already upgrading the outside of, of those facilities. Yeah, so why like not? Brick go ahead facade. And just, go do ahead and just do it with, with the TBA. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if I totally get around the uh, the orange exterior though. I, think <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just throwing some at the wall. You know, bit much. That, we might it'd be fun. Might be renamed to the uh, TBA FCC at the traffic cone. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if it goes. It to, might just be called the Big Orange. Yeah. Know? Well, well, there you go. Maybe that's what maybe that's what they should do. Just turn into a big old orange. Yeah. You know, just kind of do some structural Put stuff. Put like a green thing up on top. Yeah. Playing at we're playing at the, <laughs> uh, the traffic cone. TBA yeah. Food City Center at the Orange tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Great stuff today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more NFL and whatever is popping tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm William Patterson for Dawson Wise and Jace Brown. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow on Overtime.